I have this habit. Um, I like to just uh, always start with the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs, and in any given month, there's no more than 31 days. So there's always a proverb chapter of the day. Today being the 29th, I selected one verse out of chapter 29, just, just to mention at the beginning, and then we'll, we'll launch into the word. So I picked verse 15. Correction and discipline are good for children. If they have their own way, they will make their mothers ashamed of them. <laughs> Lisa peeked, and she said, oh, just the moms? And I said, no, I don't think that's, it doesn't just mean moms, but um, it's kind of a fun scripture because us dads get the day off, right? So if you believe that, I got a bridge that I'd like to sell you anyway. So Lord, as we, um, as we spend some time in your word today, I really believe, God, that you will, not so much through the words of this fractured vessel, but Lord, that you will, by your Holy Spirit, be speaking to people life and hope, in places that need to have those words spoken. So God, um, just, just chat with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is the third, in a, um, third week out of a four-week series that uh, I've called Bless This Home. And we're looking at the teachings of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, which is commonly known in the church as the Beatitudes. There are eight um, different um, directions that Jesus gives these directions to people. And he says, if, if you do these things, then you'll receive a certain type of blessing. And so what we're kind of doing was, he was talking to everybody about life. And what we're doing is grabbing, ha- hitching a ride on that and we're talking about the direct application of how you can get blessing right in your home, which um, I think most of us are pretty interested. How can I have blessing in my house? Because I think today, a lot of houses and homes, not the houses, but the homes are not as blessed as the Lord would want them to be. So, um, so the first week we um, went over, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because God promises that they'll be filled. And uh, second week, last week, we talked about blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And um, seeing God at work in your everyday life circumstances is a pretty big deal. So that's where we were. Next week, we're going to talk about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Today, I want to talk to you about peace in the home. Because so many homes today, um, if you look at them, they really wouldn't be marked as being full of peace. And uh, you probably have friends, or maybe there's some, some, some in yours. You see some conflict, or some tension, or some strife. And I believe that God wants something better for us than that. I think he wants our, our, our homes to be a place of peace and more. So we're going to explore that today. Some, some of you might say, yeah, yeah, my, my, my family, my home's got a little bit of dysfunction in it. But, you know, it's really not my fault. It's just not my fault. I mean, and that may be true, because... Every family somewhere has a family, very difficult person. We'll call them the family psycho, right? You would agree that every family has a psycho somewhere, right? If you're not too sure, I can prove it to you. I'll just prove it to you right now. Um, Just by a simple show of hands, you don't have to give any names or anything. How many of you have got a family psycho somewhere? Either not in your direct family, but somewhere in your family, somewhere in your family tree, somewhere. There's a family psycho. Keep your hands up, please. I I need all your hands to stay up. Look around. Now... If you see somebody whose hand is not up, they might be the psycho. (laughs) At least they are for the purposes of this illustration. Um, You know, so somebody somewhere, relationships can just at times be very challenging. They can be very difficult. They can be painful. 
especially, you know, in families, it's so easy for us sometimes to slip into some, you know, dysfunctional cycles in our relationships. I, um, I, I, I didn't come from really a dysfunctional family, but we had some cycles. And I, I started as a little guy. I mean, I was just a little guy. And um, I'm going to share a memory for, with you from a, probably, I was probably say four or five. I have an older sister who's a year and a half older than me, Shelly, who is one of the most godly women that I know now. Aww. Now, but you, you see this picture? You see this sweet little boy and this ogre of a big sister here? Do you see this? My sister, Shelly. <laughs> This is back when um, the pictures had to be colorized, you know, so that kind of dates it, but you can take that down now. Um, we, uh, Shelly and I shared this little bedroom, and it was big enough for two twin-sized beds and a little space in between. And my bigger, stronger, you know, girls mature faster than boys, they're bigger and they're stronger. So she already has a year and a half head start on me, plus this gender advantage at that age. And, uh, but there was always something in me that was, there was always this scrapping going on between me and my sister. Have you ever siblings you know there's always you know so we would scrap and um for some reason we would you know time to go to bed parents would put us to bed and for some reason we would lock arms and there would become a tug of war and um virtually every night Shelly and I would have a tug of war and she would pull and I'd end up on the floor in that spot in between the two beds ha 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 okay so I thought you know I wouldn't give up on that and I would so so I, I soon learned to reach over to the other side Hold on to the mattress. Okay, let's see what you got now. She would pull me and the mattress onto the floor. The funny thing was that, you know, it always made me kind of ticked. But, you know, it hurt. That's a mess. Now, help me clean this up. Uh Uh-uh. She wasn't going to do that. So I had this mess. But what happened the next night? Let's do it again. This hurts. Yeah, let's do it some more. I mean, we get into these cycles, and we can actually get into these cycles of, that sounds a little fun. I realize that's a childish story. But we can live with dysfunction in our families and do something over and over and over again, even though, in reality, it hurts. And we end up in these challenging relationships instead of in a relationship that's characterized by peace. Now, I don't know what it would be for you. You know, maybe... Maybe you're trying to raise your children and your, your own mother keeps pressing in and telling you, here's what you should do, and it's starting to drive you crazy, and um, there's tension between you and your mom because you just want to raise your own kids. Or maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, you have, maybe you're raising your kids and your kids are fighting all the time, and, and you want them to stop, and you say, I want you to stop that. I'm going to count to three, and then it becomes, I'll be count to seven, and I'll count to 43, and don't you make me pull this car over, and f- no matter what you say, it doesn't change, so you end up just going and having a bath, because you can't get a change there. Maybe, maybe you're the kid, and your parents, you know, you would say, they never trust me, There's, they're breathing down my neck, they're controlling or maybe you are trying to live in a blended family where you've got your kids and her kids and our kids, and then there's the X to deal with, and it's so many moving parts. How can we get to peace with all these things going on all the time? And some of us could be sitting here right now, and we could be at a place where we haven't forgiven our mother or our father for something that happened years and years and years ago. And today, I really believe that, and I, I just know, I, I know that God is going to do some healing in a lot of hearts. And uh, for people that are either here now or that will be listening to this message, Jesus said these words. This is our text for today, Matthew 5, 9. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And there are two different words that you'll find in the original biblical language for translated as peace. One is a Greek word, irenuo, um, and, and the Hebrew word, shalom, which you may have heard before. Shalom has this, been this traditional Hebrew greeting. People would say shalom, and it would mean peace. Um, and it, yet, in the Hebrew language, words go beyond just their definition. They convey feelings and intent and emotions, and the word shalom is, is packed. It's, it's more than just peace. It means contentment, completeness, wholeness, well-being, harmony. In fact, uh, Strong's Concordance, which is a reference that a lot of people who study the word use, says here's what uh, the word shalom means. Completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony. Oh yeah, and by the way, the absence of strife. Which we would normally say, what is peace? Peace is the absence of conflict. And we say, that's the definition of peace. But this definition where Jesus says, blessed are peacemakers, goes way, 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 way beyond the absence of something. You put all of that together, and Jesus says, blessed are peacemakers. He's saying, not just blessed are those where there's an absence of conflict, but I want you to have, I want you to have the absence of conflict, but I also want you to have the highest good in all this stuff put together. Now, of, cro- of course, I would, you know, this is a bit of a, a side, side issue, and it's a central issue for many. There's only one way to find true shalom. You know, a lot of people search for fulfillment and contentment and, and happiness in material things and in money and in sex and in entertainment. But there is no way to fill a God-shaped hole in your soul with those things. To get that kind of peace, you've got to go to the one who created the heavens and the earth. But that's not where the message is going today. Although I will just say this. If you are searching for those things and you are hearing these words today, you are hearing them today because you were drawn here by the Holy Spirit of God who is saying to you now, come home to me. Let me write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's forever settle your eternity because you have a God who loves you, but you have to receive the gift of salvation from Jesus the Savior. I will say that to you now, and I probably am not going to mention that again today. Because I don't want you to be persuaded by some stack of words that I might say later, but by the Holy Spirit who goes at work of that. So I'm going to back to where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And he doesn't just mean, you know, I want you to be, live in a place of being without strife, but I want you to have the highest good. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Now, when Jesus was giving these beatitudes, it was shocking to the people. These things he was saying were very counterculture. They had been raised with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So if, you know, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. If somebody steals from you, you take something from them. That's their culture. That's, that's what they're thinking. So he says something that's pretty, 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 pretty shocking. Blessed are the peacemakers. And he's basically saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to know there's a higher calling. Blessed are peacemakers, for they're going to be called my children. The ones who are peacemakers. Notice too what he said here, very carefully. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. He did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. That's a big difference there. 
For years, I would say about Terry, I was a peacekeeper, you know, I'm, and, uh, and um, probably so are you. But there's a big difference. And so that we can differentiate, I want to explore that for a second. What are peacekeepers? Peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. Peacekeepers tend to work around the issue, not through the issue, trying to keep the peace. So we get to this, you know, kind of place where we're like, okay, let's just make a truce. Let's just not talk about this anymore. And at family dinners, we're going to act and smile and just maintain, although we all know that there's some tension present, you know, but we're not going to show it because we're going to have this happy family meal, okay? And then, and then what happens is months go by, and then something sets somebody off, and, you know, and then all of a sudden there's this eruption. I am just sick and tired of you. This is like, like you drive me crazy. And what happened? What happened was that dozens of unresolved issues have piled up along the way. And they've just finally got to the tipping point. Jesus didn't say, blessed are peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. What will a peacemaker do? Peacemakers embrace conflict to keep the peace. So we're not going to work around the issues. We're going to work on the issues. We'll work through the issues. And with the help of the Prince of Peace, we'll get to a place of true, lasting peace within our family. So that, which brings us to our key thought for this series, which I've shared in the last two weeks. We're not just a Christian family but we are a Christ-centered home. Christ-centered home. And they're, you know, what's the difference? They sound very similar. Similar. They, they really shouldn't be any difference between those two. But in our culture, saying that you're a Christian or a Christian family really doesn't mean all that much. I mean, people say, yeah, I, I bought Christmas presents. I know about this Christmas story. So I guess I'm a Christian. And that's what that means to them, which is a completely different viewpoint of being Christ-centered. You know, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm just, I'm a mess. And if it wasn't for Jesus, he's the center. He is the center of the, he's the center of my resolve. He's the center of what I think. He's, he shapes my opinions. I try to live my life in a way that he says because that truly leads to things like peace. It's so different. And I want to bring him glory. In a cultural Christian home, which is a home that's Christian in name only, when there's a hard time, we just write somebody off. Well, forget you. you know, I'm not going to just mess with them anymore. You know? I'm not going to forgive them. I'll never forgive that. If I ever pass you along and you're laying on the ground dying of thirst, I won't give you a drink of water. And that's normal. That's normal in a home that's Christian in name only. But in a Christ-centered home, we say, what is Jesus teaching us about how to do relationships? And what he said was, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul said something real complimentary in Romans 12, verses 17 and 18. He said, do not repay, repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now here comes a power statement. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Boy, did you catch that? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Then in verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil. But instead, he says, we're going to, be, we're going to overcome evil with good. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So if we're in a Christ-centered home, 
and we're going to be peacemakers. What do peacemakers do? How do you actually go about that? And I'm going to give you three um, quick things about what peacemakers can do. First thing that we do, peacemakers, is we tell the truth in love. We tell the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Because we're at a Christ-centered home, we tell the truth in love. Now, notice it doesn't say yell the truth in love. I've done that. <laughs> I've done it. You know, you always leave your clothes out. That's not telling the truth in love. That's yelling the truth in love, and it's not the same thing. Telling the truth in love isn't always easy. And there are a couple of things that would be important about how you tell the truth in love. I mean, you can do it, and really it isn't love. Um, I think this is really important. One thing is that, I'll give you a couple hints. Tell the truth in love during non-conflict times. Non-conflict times. That's when you work on those hard issues. So if someone is throwing a shoe at you because they're really mad, that's not the time to tell them the truth in love. That's the time to duck. There's a difference. Non-conflict. The second thing we do is we attack the issue Never the person. Confront the issue, never the person. I mean, I, I'll give you an example of this. There was, you know, a time that I was confronting my children about something, and I was pretty revved up. And um, you might not have guessed that about me, but I can get pretty revved up. Thank you for thinking the best of me. And so um, I was pretty revved up, and um, after that was all dealt with and in our rearview mirror. I was like a day or two later, Lisa says to me, hey, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. You know, you're, um, I know you really love the kids and they know you love them and you're a great dad and, and um, you sacrifice and you serve. You do, all, you, just, you, you, you do these things. But I've noticed that when you're that revved up, the kids have a hard time telling that you actually love them. Now, that stung in the right way because it was the truth. It was pretty effective communication because she affirmed me. She didn't attack me. And she gave me, you know, the benefit of the doubt as a man. She was, you know, she was believing in me. She didn't withdraw her support of me. She was attacking a behavior that was needing adjustment. And um, I heard her. I heard those comments. And the other thing was this. She didn't just keep the peace and ignore it and hope it would go away. She didn't just let me, you know, be all revved up with the kids watching that that was putting some distance between my children and their father, which no father wants. And I didn't see because I was revved up. And when you're revved up, you can't see stuff that you should be able to see, right? You like that euphemism, revved up? I don't mean to give myself a t- let myself off the hook, but um, it paints this picture. <laughs> and so she, she didn't let me off the hook. Thank you. She didn't let me off the hook with those things. And as Christ-centered people, we tell the truth in love. We love them enough not to somehow go around the issue, but to work through it, work through the issue. And here are some, you know, examples of tactful statements, you know, you know like this. When you don't listen to me, it makes me feel like you don't value me. We're talking about the behavior now. Um, this is how I feel when you do thus and so. This is my feelings. Um, when you kind of fib about something really insignificant, it makes me wonder whether I can trust you in bigger things. 
And remember, now we're confronting issues here. We say, you know, when you, all through the dinner, always keep checking on your cell phone, it kind of makes us feel devalued. By the way, turn off your cell phones and have dinner with your family. <laughs> That's a freebie. That was a rabbit trail. Obviously, I stepped on a nerve because nobody smiled back. Okay, leave your cell phone on. No, kidding. So we tell the truth in love in non-conflict times and by confronting the issue and not the person. And then um, the second thing that we do as peacemakers, besides telling the truth in love, is peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. We apologize when we're wrong. James 5, 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Imagine what our relationships would be like when you did something wrong and you realize it and you just said, Oh, I'm really sorry. That was so wrong. I don't have an excuse. Would you forgive me for that? Okay. And then we pray together. I mean, imagine our relationships when we had done something to hurt each other, we actually made it right immediately and dealt with it. Peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. How do you apologize? I think the best thing is to admit to specific actions without excuses. You know, admit to specific actions. We don't say, you know, I'm sorry I looked at that girl, but if you'd been taking care of my needs, don't try that. That will not work. Okay? That's not, that's not an apology. We don't say, you know, I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt, you little baby. No. <laughs> it's not an apology. That's an insult. <laughs> we apologize for, um, we, for specifics. You know, I'm really sorry I belittled you in front of your friends. I don't have any excuse for that. I'm, I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? I'm really sorry I didn't consider you and I, I should have called you. I knew I was going to be late. I made you worry. I, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I raised my voice at you because I know that was disrespectful. I got to get that under control and I'm sorry. How do we apologize? We, the second way, though, is that we also admit to specific attitudes without excuses. Specific. Remember last week we talked about parenting our children to their heart? Not just their actions, but parenting to their heart. You know, sometimes... Our heart is the one that's being parented by our parent. Could be a parent here, but but by our Heavenly Father. When our heart is being parented, and just like we want our kids to own up to their attitudes, sometimes we got to own up to our attitudes. And we say, oh, by the way, um, I want to mention something about immaturity, because sometimes immaturity can hurt someone. Immaturity is not a sin. Did you know that? Immaturity is not a sin. Um, so when you're dealing with hurt and immaturity is involved, you have a whole other layer of complication. You have to become more mature as you deal with that. But that's a, that's a rabbit trail. I'm not going to go down that. I'm going to stop right now and back off. So we admit to specific actions or we admit to specific attitudes without excuses. So there's a big difference, and don't miss that. There's a big difference also between remorse and repentance. Remorse and repentance. You know, so often... We stop with remorse. We say, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, which really meant, I'm really sorry I got caught. Or, I'm really sorry that we're having this hard time. Or, I'm really sorry we're having a fight. Or, I'm really sorry you're going through this. That's, that's remorse. Repentance, the word repentance is not an expression. The word literally means to turn because of sorrow. Repentance, did you know that? It literally means to turn because of sorrow. And Jesus used this word, Metanoio, it was, it, was, it was in a time, you've heard this phrase, Luke 13, 
he says, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent. Some translations say the words turn, unless you turn. Sometimes being a peacemaker is, means that we fix a problem that we've caused, and we do that by repenting, by turning. And unless we change, unless we change our behavior, what caused the problem is going to happen again and again and again. Sometimes to be a peacemaker, we have to turn. To become a peacemaker, we got to turn. Repentance is a little different than remorse, though. It's, it's that turning. It's, I was wrong. I sinned. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And, you know, when you've actually hurt somebody, those words, will you forgive me, are really important. They're really, really important. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And we're going to come to the third one. And I know that this one might be a little bit difficult. Um, and so I'm going to walk into it gently, but I'm going to wade into this because we're not just culturally Christians here. We, we're not just Christian in name only. We want to be Christ-centered in all the things that we do. And Christ calls us not only to wish for people the absence of strife, but to wish for them the highest and best good. That's what peace means. It's not just the absence of strife, but it's the highest and best good. He calls us something more. So we tell the truth in love, We apologize when we're wrong. And the third thing is that peacemakers forgive and let go. And the reason that I'm going to walk gently into this topic is because I know that for many of us here, there's a tremendous amount of pain associated with this topic. A lot of pain. And some of you might sit back and think, you know, look at me and say, well, fine, Terry, you live your nice little preacher life and you have your little preacher problems and you have no idea of what what I'm going through. And that's true. You know, I may or may not have experienced what you've been through. But I do understand that if you've got someone that you trusted and you loved and you trusted them with everything in you and they lied to you and they deceived you and left you in a really, really hard place, I understand that that's really, really difficult to forgive. Betrayal is very difficult to forgive. And I know for some of you, 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 your spouse betrayed you. You, you know, they, they committed adultery maybe multiple times, and you think, how can I forgive that? And there maybe are some here who you, um, you or somebody in your, you know, you, you, someone in your family who should have protected you, violated you, hurt you, or maybe even abused you. And I know that's so hard, even the concept, how do I forgive that? I don't know how. I don't even know if I want to. In fact, I don't want to. I don't want to forgive that. And sometimes being a peacemaker has to do with making peace right here. Sometimes God wants us to make peace right in our own soul. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of all of those good things, contentment, wholeness, hope. That's what the peacemaker, sometimes you are to be a peacemaker for your own soul. And the times that that comes up are the times that are the most difficult to do it, where you've been violated the most deeply, where there is the most pain, and the most unforgivable acts have happened to us. 
and I realize that I've scratched a very tender surface, and I don't mean to hurt anybody. I, I'm specifically not doing that, but I also know that um, the Holy Spirit has a plan for today to do something supernatural by healing for some people. When Jesus was on the cross, he said these words, Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus is using an Aramaic word when he says the word forgive there. And this Aramaic word literally translates to the word untie. Untie. Do you realize that the fastest way for you to free yourself from your enemy is to untie from them? Jesus said the word forgive, but he was literally saying the word untie. Untie them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And you have this person in your past or people, and they violated you so deeply, and it has affected you, and it has cost you, and it has hurt you all your entire life. And I, I know you're thinking, don't you think I know if I could have just pulled on a string and untied, I would have done that a long time ago. I don't know why the Lord would be saying that to you today again. But he's saying to people today, untie. Because then you untie yourself from that person, from that ugliness that was there. Because it's our hatred that ties us. I'm not accusing anybody here of hatred. I'm just saying it's our hatred that ties us to people who have hurt us. And the Lord wants us to have peace. He wants us to make peace. Now I realize this topic is married to other topics like trust, punishment, paying a price. I mean, I understand all those things and I'm not going there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about those issues. I'm talking about our own heart and the pain we carry with us. Because our hatred ties us. Your forgiveness is what unties you. Your forgiveness enables you to start walking away from him or her and the pain. And I'm not here today to tell you that it's easy, but I am here to tell you today that it is doable. It is possible to do this. And it's incredibly important for you, and it's incredibly important for your Christ-centered home that you try this, that you do this. And the Bible tells us how. Colossians 3.13, Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And in this simple verse, he gives us the reason, because he did. That's plenty of reason, by the way. This is not just barely enough reason to tip the scale. You got the pros and the cons for forgiving a person, and oh yeah, Jesus forgave me. Okay, just tipped over. No, this one tips the scales and jams it down on that side so that you don't even remember there was any, any cons to forgiving. It gives us the reason. It gives us the way, just like Jesus did, by choice and intention of his heart. And then it gives a standard. In the same, at the same level of forgiveness, untie them. We forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I just want to ask this central rhetorical, it's rhetorical, I want to ask this central question. Has the Lord forgiven you of a lot of sins? Has he forgiven you of, I mean, it's so obvious the answer. Has he forgiven you of a whole, so you can't remember them anymore? So many sins. 
Has the Lord forgiven you freely, even though you didn't deserve it and you couldn't earn it? Because you know those people who you need to forgive don't deserve it and they can't earn it. Even if they said the right words, they wouldn't undo the harm. That's how we're called to forgive, freely. Freely we, as we freely forgive as we've been forgiven. That's what Christ-centered homes do. What we don't do is when our marriage gets a little dicey, we don't just walk away and say, forget it, I give up, I'm not happy anymore, I'm out of here. We don't, we don't write our children off and say, you know what, I'm done with you, I, you're dead to me, you're not my children anymore. You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't walk away from our in-laws because they're just so annoying. I'm not saying all in-laws are annoying. I'm saying, if you're good, if, by the way, if you're an in-law, you have to work at not being annoying because it's our predisposition to be annoying. <laughs> so we work at not being annoying. And if you're not doing a good job, you want to know about that from your kids because you don't want to annoy your kids. But anyway, you don't walk away from your in-laws when they're being annoying because someday you're going to be one. Smiling at my son-in-law here. Um, please don't walk away from me, Jason. <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're, we, we do great, at, at least in my mind. Okay, so. so we forgive as we've been forgiven. We show mercy as we've shown mercy. When we forgive, when we show mercy, we're acting just like Christ. When we act like him, we become peacemakers. We become children of God. When we start to look like our Heavenly Father, when we're, because we're created in his, his image, we're conforming to His likeness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Let's pray. Lord, um, today I really feel like...